This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's big question, why is there never enough time? Well, what are the casualties of your busy life? How do you go beyond merely surviving? Well, my guest today is someone who is very familiar with trying to manage multiple commitments. Michelle Monroe is presently adjunct lecturer at Melbourne School of Theology, lecturing in Old Testament. She's previously worked in audiology and for New Hope Baptist Church, and also has worked with me at the City Bible Forum, and she joins me now. Please welcome Michelle Monroe. Thank you, Rob. Well, welcome, Michelle. It's Thanks, wonderful, Rob. wonderful to have you here. So how are you going? Are you, are you feeling busy? Well, right at this moment, I'm actually not particularly busy. That's because our semester at college has just come to an end. The exam was yesterday. And so I, as a first-time lecturer, have that sense of relief that students feel when the exam is over. However, I am conscious that I have four weeks of not lecturing, which could look quite relaxed, but then I realise... Okay, I've got to mark exam papers. I've got to prepare for next semester, which will be quite a lot of work. And then with the rest of my spare time, there's a lot of housework that has gotten neglected over the last few months that I'll put energy into. My parents need caring for. My sister and her children need some support over the school holidays. So my time will very quickly fill up. Mm, and you have some ongoing health issues that require maintenance I as do. Well. I have a kidney disease, which I have no kidney personal kidney function at this point in time and so I'm on dialysis so I have a dialysis machine at home which I use overnight every second night which is quite a commitment it takes the whole of the evening to set the machine up and that structures my husband's and my life quite a lot. So do you sometimes feel that you try to do too much? Definitely, yeah. definitely. I think it's been a habit of mine throughout my life. My, my father said of me when I was a child that I needed to find balance and I think it's kind of been a catch cry of my life that um, balance is required. I throw myself into things and, mm -hmm. and find that I don't have the, the time left for all of the other commitments of life. And I, I think most of us find that, that there's so many different things that we feel we need to commit our time to and how do we... Uh, manage those things. Yeah. Well, Michelle, your experience resonates with many in the modern world. When I ask most workers in Melbourne how they are, the common response is busy. Now, whilst we're all busy and feeling stretched, research shows that office workers actually waste time. Well, as part of Bigger Questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. And today we're asking Michelle Monroe about why there is never enough time. So, Michelle, I thought we'd test you on how much you know about office time wasting. Okay, there's two questions, both multiple choice. According to a survey by salary.com, what percentage of employees claim they waste more than half an hour of time each working day? Is it A, it's a multiple choice, A, 0%, everyone is so flat out that nobody wastes time? Is it B, 12%, there are a few slackers out there? Is it C, 36%, over a third of workers waste time? Or is it D, 100% if you consider all work to be a waste of time? <laughs> well, I think there's a difference between people wasting time and people thinking they're wasting time. So I think I'm going to say 12%. Was that B? 
yes, it was. Uh, I think I'm going to say that as in terms of people who think that they're wasting time. Okay. Well, the answer is actually C. Oh, okay. uh, that they uh, over 36% over a third of workers claim that they waste at least an hour of working time every day. Uh, and I suppose if it's no surprise that using the internet is the biggest distraction. Apparently, 64% of employees visit non-related websites during the day. Yeah. According to another survey from uh, salary.com, what is the top work-related distraction in the office? Is it A, fixing other people's work? Is it B, office politics? Is it C, work meetings or events? Or is it D, waiting for my computer to boot up? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to go C. Okay. Just so that you don't fail, did you try to maybe you want to try one of the first two? Perhaps. Maybe I'll try B or, or A. Yes, A. Correct answer is A. Yes, congratulations. Fifty-four percent of people say that fixing other people's work oh, is their yeah. leading cause of distraction at work. So in our time-wasting quiz, Michelle, congratulations. You got <laughs> nearly got one out of two right. So give her a hand. Congratulations. So Michelle, are we simply busy because we waste time, or that we're fixing other people's problems? I think that we're busy because in the society that we live in, we feel like we've always got to be achieving more, we're competing, we're, you know, measuring ourselves against others, against some kind of a standard that we think we have to live to. Mm. And I think that causes us to make ourselves more busy than perhaps we need to be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I talked about I need to look after my parents, I need to help my sister with her children, I need to update my house as well as doing my work. And, and these are pressures that we all feel. We feel like we've got to, you know, look like the, the person who's got it all together. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a kind of unfortunate part of the society that we live in. It doesn't mean that those things aren't important, but maybe the pressure of them mm, mm. should not be as heavy as it is. So do you think this pressure is one of the reasons we feel that there just isn't enough time to get everything done? Absolutely, yeah. On average, people in rich countries have more leisure time than they used to. Is there also an expectation issue? Mm. Yeah, I think um, we we work to live. There's this thing that, you know, we've got to get our work out of the way so that we can have the, the pleasures that we want to have and, you know, build up um, experiences for ourselves that make our life meaningful. And uh, I think that that's, you know, a, a kind of a wrong focus. Right. In an opinion piece published by The Economist at the end of 2014, they claimed that ever since a clock was first used to synchronise labour in the 18th century, Time has been understood in relation to money. Hence, once hours are financially quantified, people worry more about wasting, saving or using them mm. profitably. Mm. When economies grow and incomes rise, everyone's time becomes more valuable. And the more valuable something becomes, the scarcer it seems. So is one of the underlying issues in our business essentially that time is money? Yeah, I think if you compare our society to underdeveloped countries, um, it's amazing how they're not worried about time. They're mm. not concerned about, you know, making every minute count um, yeah. as we are. And I think that has to do with the society that we live in, the, the priorities of, you know, building up our wealth, building up our capacity to have an influence in the world. Yeah, I think that that massively impacts uh, the sense of always needing to rush to the next thing, mm. whether it be making more money or having some experience that will, you know, make our life more meaningful mm. in some way. So economic development, whatever that means, um, mm. comes at a, a cost, which yeah, is one yeah. of the costs which we feel is being time poor. Yeah, yep, I agree. Yeah. It's interesting that there's a, a Gallup poll said the more cash-rich working Americans are, the more time poor 
they feel. So is our sense of busyness just a problem of perception? Uh, perception is probably one way to express it. It's, I think, priorities. We have a sense that we always need to achieve something. Um, and, you know, I, I know in my own life, I have felt as though times when my life has not been so productive, you feel like you're not a contributing member of society, you have nothing to offer. Uh, I've been through a period in my life where I was sick enough that I was actually not able to really do anything. I was pretty much confined to bed. And that was an incredibly difficult time in my life to, um, to feel as though I had anything of value to give to the world, therefore, do I have any value? I, I'm not doing anything to contribute, um, so therefore, my time is wasted. And, you know, that was a challenging period to go through. And I think what I learnt through that is that my life, the value of my life is not actually about the things that I do, the, the ticks on the page that I've been productive in this day my time is actually more valuable than that. Mm, mm. Um, and being content with the season that my life was in mm. at the time, I think was something incredibly valuable to me to learn that actually I don't have to tick the, every dot on the page every day. I don't have to be, you know, the superwoman who manages family and home and work and, and all of those things perfectly. I can be just who I am at this moment in time and, and that's okay. Mm. We've got a question that's come through which we'll, we'll bring. Is If we could go back in time, what role do you think technology could play in helping people to better manage time or would you do away with it altogether? Yeah, I don't think technology helps us with time. <laughs> um, so I'm just checking an email on my phone. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so. Yeah, I, th I think technology has actually created a lot of the, uh, the challenge with time. You know, I'm old enough to remember when computers first came in at work and I remember that, you know, we thought that it would save us lots of time. We thought that there would be less paperwork. We thought that, you know, we would be more productive in our work because we had computers and, in fact, it was the complete opposite. Uh, much more paperwork, much more time um, because you had to write things as well as type things. <laughs> Uh, well, there's a sense in which some things have been sped up, but, this, sure. but it just changes now the nature of busyness, perhaps. Yeah, and it, and it means that we can feel as though we can produce more. More so, quickly. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so there's more priorities and more pressures. Sped up, yeah. yeah. As part of Bigger Questions, we also reflect on the Bible. And we're going to explore a passage which explores time. But before we do that, maybe we're interested to hear a bit about why you believe the scriptures are worth following. So, Michelle, what convinced you in the first place to become a Christian believer? Do you know, I don't think the question is what convinced me in the first place. I think the question is what has kept me convinced. Mm -hmm. um, so I grew up in a Christian home, always went to church, always had a sense that God was real and that he was my friend and that he was uh, involved in my life. Became a, a firm believer in my teenage years. But I've been through many hardships in my life. My brother died in a car accident, sudden car accident on the way home from his honeymoon, he and his wife, when I was 22 and he was very, very close to me. So that was very devastating and hard to manage. My husband and I tried for seven years to have children. We went through IVF and that was incredibly challenging and my kidney disease. And um, my husband actually gave me a, a kidney when uh, four and a half years ago as a preemptive transplant to avoid dialysis. But 
unsuccessfully. That lasted for 18 months and then failed, which is very unusual. So we've had a lot of hard times. Um, I've had a lot of, of hardships and challenges and difficult things. And I think a lot of people would look at that and say, well, why do you still believe in God mm, mm. Um, when you've been through all of those things? And for me, the answer is I would not survive if I didn't believe in God. God has kept me. God has held me. God has answered the bigger questions, not in terms of, you know, it's all for a purpose and, and there's going to be good in the end, but in terms of God loves me in the midst of those things. God is good to me. God protects me, even though things aren't going the way that I'd like them to go. I still feel the love of God. I still feel the peace of God in my heart. I still feel that he is my guardian and protector. And if he was not there, I honestly don't think I would be alive. Mm. Um, I certainly wouldn't be happy. <laughs> mm. Wow. Well, um, thanks very much for sharing that, Michelle. Um, now, the part of the Bible we're reflecting on today comes from the Old Testament wisdom book of Ecclesiastes. Now, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 contains a beautiful poem reflecting on time. It suggests that there is a time and a season for everything. And in verses 2 and 3, it outlines a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. So, Michelle, what do you make of this poem? I think it's very encouraging in that you've heard a little bit about the seasons of my life and... Uh, when I was at that time, when I was really, really low and, and unable to achieve anything, the, the place that I was able to come to was this is a season. This is a time when I am still, when I'm in a place where I actually am not able to be productive. So make the most of this opportunity to be still. See this as a season where I am able to rest and to be restored in some way within myself. Gradually, as I became more well, I found that my friendships were developing a lot and I was able to contribute into the lives of people in ways that I had not been able to. So, um, And then recognising that that season will come to an end and another season will begin mm. um, and there will be a time to build, just like there's been this time to tear down. So I think there's hope in it. I think there's a sense that uh, we can't necessarily be in control. There will be a season of loss. There will be a season of gain. There will be a season to build up and there will be a season to tear down and I can't control that but I know that God sums all those things up mm. and that gives me a sense of peace a sense of contentment that uh, life and time and the purpose of my life is in his hands mm. so you resonate particularly when it says in verse three there a time to heal mm. was that that was particularly your season of life yeah definitely which in itself is very interesting because you know I was sick and yet God was healing me. Now, the poem appreciates a full range of human experience and the, and the value of wisdom. For example, in verse 4, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And so it's not always doom and gloom. There's also positive things in absolutely, there as well. And there's, absolutely. there's seasons of life which are actually good. Yeah, definitely. Now, you could look at the poem and suggest, is it just simply fatalistic? That the you know, good stuff and bad stuff happens and it's just all a bit kind of random? Well, I, I think a lot of people have read it that way. And I think if you take God out of the picture, then, then that's definitely what you come up with. Um, 
the, the writer of Ecclesiastes is kind of pessimistically looking at the world and saying, well, you know, it doesn't really matter whether things go well or things go poorly. Everybody's going to experience everything. It doesn't matter how hard I try. There's going to be good and there's going to be bad in my life. And, you know, if, if you left it there, then it's a very pessimistic view. But I think the writer goes further than that. The writer says, so therefore, if there's going to be good and there's going to be bad and I can't do anything about it, then the best thing that I can do is to submit my life to God, knowing that he is in control. There's a very strong sense of the sovereignty of God, the sense that God is over and above everything. He knows the beginning from the end. I don't. So submit my life to him and be content with that and, and find pleasure in the life that I have, in, in the experience, whether it be the good or the bad, find contentment, find pleasure, and, and therefore my life will have that sense of I'm, I'm at peace. I, I'm, I'm contributing to the world in the, in the place that God has given me at this time. I mean, if you did take God out of the poem, it's hard to have seasons of life if life is just simply unguided and random. Mm, mm. So how does this poem then impact our view of time? I, th I think we have this sense that we, we've got a race, we've got a rush to achieve everything. And uh, whenever, whenever we reach a milestone, there's a new milestone that we have to achieve. And so there's this sense that our lives are driven, our lives are constantly seeking for more time and more capacity and a greater contribution. Um, and I, I think that what this poem says and, and what I feel that God has taught me in my life is to just relax about uh, a feeling of, of needing to drive our life forward and to achieve everything all at once, rather to have a sense that God is guiding my life and this is the place I'm in right now, so enjoy it, um, contribute to it, give everything I can to the sense that this is where I am, this is what I have, this is what's in my hands, this is what I will devote my life to and, and be pleased in it, mm. uh, rather than always seeking for the next thing. But is there a sense, though, that achievement's not bad in itself? No. You can certainly achieve things. Like a, the poem says here, time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. I suppose, you know, gathering stones is a, in some ways a, an achievement. Yeah, and I think that... that the writer of Ecclesiastes is very, I mean, he's done a lot of uh, exploring of life. He's done a lot of work. You know, he talks a lot about work. Mm. And there's a distinction that I think he makes. He, he says, you know, don't toil for the purpose of toil. Don't, don't pour all your energies into trying to achieve something just, just, you know, for achievement's sake. But by the same token, if you live in a way that you explore the place that you're in and make the most of it, then achievement is a good thing. Mm. To, to be productive is a good thing, but not productive you know, for some ex external gain that, that you're always chasing after and never reaching. Mm. Or perhaps even making achievement ultimate. Yeah. Well, the poem finishes in verse 8, and then verse 9 and following, there's a response. And it says, What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden of God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. What's the writer meaning here? I think that Koheleth, the writer of Ecclesiastes, is... is so what do you mean by that? You're coughing, were you? <laughs> Koheleth. So who's that? Uh, that's the name, the Hebrew name of, of this person. It, right, it basically okay. means teacher. Yeah. So the teacher who is, who is writing Ecclesiastes is basically saying that there's this sense that we have in the human heart that 
there's more than my life. Um, I don't think he's talking about life after death. I think he's talking about there's a generation after me and a generation after that and a generation after that. And God is the only one who knows the beginning from the end. He doesn't know. You don't know. I don't know what will happen the generation after me. But God has set this sense within me that there's more than my life and this attempt to sort of reach uh, forward into the into the future. He comes out with a little bit of a pessimistic view because he says that, well, you know, I'll, I'll try to achieve something to hand on to the next generation, but who knows what they will do with it. I can't control that. Only God can. Um, but I think that from a Christian perspective, once we add the New Testament into this, we see a whole different perspective because eternity from a Christian perspective is not just about there's one generation after me and a generation after that and a generation after that. It's saying that, no, there is an eternity with God beyond this life, outside of this life, where there is ultimate meaning, where there is ultimate hope, where there is ultimate life. So therefore, the, the hopelessness that some see in Ecclesiastes is completely lifted by the fact that with Christ, there is life beyond death and the meaning of what I do now is not so much in this world, but it's in the beyond. Mm. So the perspective that's brought out here in Ecclesiastes, how does this perspective affect the way we view time and how we use time? Yeah, I I think for myself, it's about recognising that no matter how much I strive, I can't guarantee what my future will be. I can't guarantee what the future of my family, children, you know, people who I wish to influence. I can't guarantee any of it. Um, I can't guarantee that if I do good things, good things will happen in my life or in the lives of those around me. So therefore, there's not much point in having an attitude that, well, I have to really work hard, I have to strive, I have to, you know, drive my life in the way that I used to do to always be successful. I think instead of that, what the writer of Ecclesiastes is, is saying is be content with the life that you have. Yes, work, work hard, produce, be productive in the context that you're in. Make right choices about the way that you divide your time in the context that you have, knowing that things will change, seasons will change, a different time will come and you'll have different opportunities. So use the opportunities that you have and yeah, don't try to to strive for everything. Now questions come in which relates to that, particularly about contentment. He says, you keep mentioning contentment. How does contentment solve my busyness? I still have lots of things to do. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's true. I think it's a matter of choosing our priorities correctly. So when you're really sick, it actually totally changes your understanding about priorities. I think for those who haven't been really sick, it's actually hard to see that, okay, there's these 15 different things that I have to do and I have to do them. There's no choice. But when you're sick, you can't do them. You, you simply cannot. So you have to choose. You have to be wise in dividing your time. I think we really struggle to do that. I think we really struggle to set aside things that other people think are important but really are not important at this moment in our life. So contentment to me is about recognising where I am, recognising my capacity. It doesn't mean limiting myself. It doesn't mean saying, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to be lazy because I can't be bothered. (laughs) It it means recognising this is where I am, this is the time that I have, and I want to use it to the best that I possibly can and I want to be happy in doing that. So, you know, those priorities that 
I'd like to get to. They're, they're not bad things to do, but honestly, they're just not priorities that I can manage at this moment. And so I'm not going to let others pressure me. I'm going to actually let those aside and be content and do what I can do. Uh, I don't want to say that we shouldn't be striving to achieve things and we shouldn't be productive, because I think that's part of contentment. Uh, feeling as though I am productive, I am contributing to the world, but in the way that I can at this point in time where I am, knowing that seasons will change. I think the other part of that is God in our life. For me, God's guidance is incredibly important to knowing what are the right priorities mm. and knowing um, that it's okay to set some things aside. I think without God's guidance, that's really hard to do. What about for someone who perhaps is listening or is here today who doesn't, say, have God in their life? What role would God play? I would say, let me encourage you to, to try, to, to reach out to God. Um, because to me, the capacity to make wise choices in life is very much dependent upon listening to what God has to say, reading the Bible, um, praying and, and hearing God's perspective. I think that outside of God, it's still true that, that there are seasons in our lives and there are good times and there are bad times. There are seasons where we're productive and seasons where we're not productive and perhaps a, a sense of that's okay. It's okay that this is a productive season. It's okay that this is not a productive season. Uh, not wallowing in that, but recognising that it will turn and there will be a point where I can be productive again. Uh, I think anybody can benefit from that. Mm. But to me, the ultimate thing is that God is part of directing my life forward and helping me to, to make wise choices about the way that I spend my time. Mm. Another question, final question has come in. says, how do we work out what season of life we're in? Mm. That's a really good question. Uh, I think it's much easier sometimes to see the season outside of it uh, once it comes to an end. But I, I guess uh, a little in introspection, prayer is really helpful. I think that if you're feeling discontent, if you're feeling as though things are just out of control in your life, then you're probably not assessing the season correctly. Very few people set aside the time to actually reflect and see, you know, where is my life at this point? Um, I think it's really important to have, you know, half a day, a day, every couple of months to just assess where is my life at, where am I and, and what season am I in and am I meant to be building or am I meant to be tearing down at this point in time? Is it a season where I'm just enjoying life and just getting on with it and being productive or is it a season where I need to just be still for a little while? Yeah, I think it just comes through quietness and reflection. Mm. So, Michelle, time. Why is there never enough? <laughs> I think there is enough. I think it's just a matter of correctly choosing how we spend it. Being wise, um, submitting our life to God, to that introspective kind of how can I use this time wisely? And if we attempt to do that, we'll never be totally successful. But if we attempt to do, to do that, we can find that there is contentment in the, the restedness of knowing that I'm being as productive as I can be at this time, and that's good. Well, let me leave you with the Bible's answer to the big question, why is there never enough time from Ecclesiastes 3? He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, 
Michelle Monroe. Enjoy bigger questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash bigger questions.